Hola mi gente, I'm your host Lore, and you're listening to Creepy Cheese. Creepy Cheese is created for entertainment purposes only. The views and opinions expressed here do not reflect my place of work, friends, or family. So come join in, if you dare. In 1924, a Canadian prospector, Albert Osman, looking for gold mines in British Columbia, claimed something visited his campsite. He noticed some of his supplies were missing and found the whole thing rather odd. The following night, Osman awoke when his entire sleeping bag with him in it was being dragged along. After about three hours, Osman was dropped at another campsite. That's when he noticed he was surrounded by not one, but four Sasquatch creatures. He claims it was a family, a father, mother, and two smaller Sasquatch. This is Albert Osman's story. Albert Osman decided to take a vacation and spend time looking for gold in British Columbia. After taking a steamship to Lund, he hired an indigenous man to guide him to the coast known as the Toba Inlet. The indigenous man was very friendly and knowledgeable and told Osman of stories including one of a white man who loved to drink. He threw away a lot of money at saloons, but he never ran out. You see, whenever the white man would run low on money, he would go away for a few days and return with a bag of gold. However, one day the man left but never returned. Many believed he was taken or killed by the mysterious hairy men in the woods. Osman had never heard of such a creature, so he asked the indigenous man to explain. He referred to these hairy men as Sasquatch and described them to have hair all over their bodies. But they were not animals. They were big people who live in the mountains. He said, that an uncle of his once found tracks that were about two feet long, and another man ran into one that was about eight feet tall. Osman found this all entertaining, but did not believe the indigenous man. However, Osman did say, the hairy men may have been around thousands of years ago, but not anymore. The indigenous man said that there may not be many anymore, but they do exist. The two men finally arrived to the head of the inlet, and Osman set up camp. He told the indigenous man to return in three weeks, that he would be in the exact same spot. Osman spent the next day looking for paths to explore, only carrying his Winchester rifle, a pickaxe, some cans of food, rifle shells, and a sleeping bag in his pack. He'd leave everything else back at camp while he explored. Osman claims to have been at an elevation of about a thousand feet and had the most beautiful view of the islands. He spent the next few days camping and heading to higher elevation, describing in detail of his campsites. 
Then he finds the perfect site near two cypress trees and a rock wall. There was also a little spring nearby, so he set up his camp and set himself up for bed. Osman describes himself as a heavy sleeper, so when he awoke the next morning, he noticed that some of his equipment had been shuffled about, but he didn't find anything to be missing, so he went about his day. But that night, Osman made sure that his rifle was loaded. Osman thought that maybe an animal came through the night before, and so just to be extra safe, he slept with his gun under his pillow and his boots in the bottom of his sleeping bag. The next morning, he woke up to once again find that something went through his things. But this time, he noticed some things were missing. A half-pound package of prunes and the pancake flour. Osman searched the area for tracks, but found nothing. He even climbed up a big rock to get a good view, but saw nothing around his camp. The next night, he took special notice of his campsite and tried to memorize where everything was. This night, he left his clothes on, again putting his boots in his sleeping bag and placing his pickaxe against a tree. He laid his rifle right next to him and fully intended on staying awake, but eventually he fell asleep. Being a heavy sleeper, it wasn't until Osman felt something lift him and his sleeping bag when he woke up. Being half asleep, it took him a second to remember where he was. At first, Osman thought maybe it had snowed and he was sliding down the hill, but there had been no snow anywhere near him. Then he thought, Maybe it was that someone tossed him on a horseback. He knew whatever it was, was walking. He remained very quiet while trying to figure out what it was that was carrying him for a very long time. As he sat completely uncomfortable in his sleeping bag, he gripped his rifle. After what felt like an hour, he felt he was moving up a hill, a very steep hill. Whoever or whatever was carrying him began to breathe heavily, sometimes even letting out a slight cough. He began to remember what the indigenous man told him about the big hairy men that lived in the mountains. Could this be a Sasquatch? Osman at this point was in pain from sitting in a sleeping bag. His boots, some cans of food, and his position made the trek very uncomfortable. It was also very hot inside, and he most likely could have suffocated, but there was a small opening at the top of the sleeping bag where whatever's hand was not large enough to completely close it. He felt that he was now being dragged downhill. He felt at times that the creature was below him, and then before he knew it, the pace picked up. He felt level again and described the creature holding him to be trotting for a long distance. He had been carried now more than a few hours. His legs were cramping, and he describes how he was in the worst pain he's ever felt. Osman guessed that he had been carried approximately three hours. Out of nowhere, he is dropped to the ground, and then he heard chatter in a dialect that he'd never heard before. He peeked his head out, practically grasping for air, and attempted to stretch his legs out, but they were so numb he couldn't even move them. It was nighttime and very dark. As Osman massaged his legs back to life, 
he could hear four different tones of voice. Were there four people by him? They were standing around him, just speaking back and forth to each other. And in this moment, he knew these were the Sasquatch the indigenous man had told him about. Eventually, the dawn broke, and he was able to stand up and move towards his rifle. What do you want? What do you want with me? No response. Just more unknown chatter. As the night disappeared, it became more clear, and Osman saw four hairy creatures standing around him. Two big ones and two smaller ones, all covered in hair from head to toe, and none of them were wearing clothes. He also noticed there were mountains all around him. The younger, smaller ones seemed to be a bit frightened, and one of the larger ones, the female, seemed very upset at the other large one about what he had just brought home. Osman began planning his escape immediately. On his neck he had a compass and prospecting glass. He tried to figure out his location so he can figure out which way to run. The four creatures left together. But a short while later, one of the large Sasquatch sat in a giant opening, just watching. Osman says he moved towards the west end of the valley and set himself up there. He didn't know what would happen if he ran. He had some cans of food in his sleeping bag, his knife, his rifle, and a box of shells. He also had coffee with him, but he felt trapped. He knew he couldn't leave. The two younger Sasquatch would hide behind bushes, but they never took their eyes off of him. During the day, Osman would walk around looking for water and wood, but being that it was a valley, it was very hard to come by. He did manage to find a spring with clean water. As Osman would go about exploring the valley, the four hairy beasts watched his every move. One morning, while Osman was looking for firewood, the two youngest were close near his supplies. The boy seemed very interested in touching Osman's supplies, but ran off quickly. It was also on this day that Osman found where the family of Sasquatch may have been living. He claims that on the east side wall of the valley was a shelf in the mountainside. It had an overhang of rocks that looked like an undercut in a big tree, at least 10 feet deep and about 30 feet wide. The floor had a lot of dry moss, and he even described what looked like blankets made of woven strips of cedar bark. They were laid on top of more dry moss. Eventually, Osman grew very tired of nothing happening, and he was running out of the little supplies that he had. So one morning, he decided he was going to escape. He was not sure of the right direction, but he knew he had to go up and over the hill. He packed up the little bit that he had left, loaded his gun, and started off into the opening of the valley. The older man Sasquatch stood up. He held up his hands and motioned a pushback. Osman pointed towards the opening, but the Sasquatch kept pushing back. It said something that sounded like, Suka, Suka. Osman took a few steps back, and he started thinking that his gun might not even affect the Sasquatch, so he turned back to go think of another way. He thought about trying to make friends with the younger Sasquatch, but without communication, that would take time. 
He didn't have time. He also thought back to a time this guy saved himself from a mad bull by blinding him with snuff in his eyes. So he devised a plan. He would give the young Sasquatch a snuff box with a few grains in it. His hope was that he might go share it with the older Sasquatch. The next day, the older female came home carrying an armful of grass, twigs, and some kind of nut that grows in the ground. Like other days, the youngest would climb the eastern mountain, better than any mountain goat could climb. He watched as he picked some kind of grass with long, sweet roots. He even gave some to Osman, and he claims that they tasted very sweet. He gave him another snuff box with about a teaspoon of snuff in it. This time he tasted it, then went to the old man. He licked it with his tongue. They had a long discussion. Osman spent the next few days making small little things and throwing them towards the younger Sasquatch, who then would go share them with the older ones. Eventually, the younger Sasquatch would get close enough that he watched Osman one day chew some snuff. Osman smacked his lips and said, Mmm, that's good. The young Sasquatch pointed to the old man, said something that sounded like ook. The younger one pointed to the older man. Osman took it as the younger one saying the older man wanted some snuff. Osman shook his head and said no. Tell him to come here and motioned with his hands. The younger Sasquatch went away and did not return. At this point, Albert Osman had been here six days, but he felt that he was making progress, gaining the young Sasquatch's trust. But he still needed the old man to come over and to eat a full box of snuff that would kill him for sure. He also felt that if he made the old Sasquatch kill himself, he would not be guilty of murder. By day six, Osman concluded that the old lady was a meek old thing. The young fellow was quite friendly by this time, and he felt that the young girl would never hurt anybody. Her chest was flat like a boy's. No development like a young lady. And he was sure that if he brought her back to civilization, she might fit in. But he thought, what good of that? If he brought her back, he'd have to keep her in a cage for public display. And he did not believe that he had any right to force a way of life on another person. He also concluded that the young male might have been between the ages of 11 and 18. He had to have been 7 feet tall and about 300 pounds. His chest would be 50 to 55 inches, his waist about 36 to 38 inches. He had a wide jaw, a narrow head, that slanted upward, rounded the back about 4 or 5 inches higher than the forehead. The hair on his head was about 6 inches long. The hair on the rest of their bodies was short and thick in places. The woman's hair on the forehead had an upward turn just like some women have bangs. The old lady could have been anywhere between 40 to 70 years old. She was over 7 feet tall, and she would be about 500 to 600 pounds. She had very wide hips and a goose-like walk. She was not built for beauty or speed. Osman says that if she would have had a lovable brassiere, it would have uplifted and made great improvement on her figure. The man Sasquatch had eye teeth that were very long, longer than the rest of them, but not long enough to be called tusks. The old man must have been near eight feet tall, 
Big barrel chest, big hump on his back, powerful shoulders. His biceps and upper arms were enormous and tapered down to his elbows. His forearms were longer than most people, but very well proportioned. His hands were very wide. The palms were long and broad and hollow like a scoop. His fingers were short and proportioned to the rest of his hand. His fingernails were like chisels. The only place they had no hair was inside their hands and the soles of their feet. Osman claims that he never saw their ears, and if they had any, they were definitely covered by a lot of hair. He also described that if the older man were to ever wear a collared shirt, the collar would have to be at least 30 inches, and he has no idea what kind of shoe size he would wear. One day, he was watching the young fellow's foot while he was sitting down. The soles of his feet seemed to be padded like a dog's foot, and the big toe was longer than the rest and very strong. He noticed that when the creatures tried to sit down, they would turn their knees out and come straight down. When they would rise, they came straight up without help of hands or arms. He also didn't think that this valley was their permanent home. He felt as though they would move from place to place wherever food was available. Possibly they ate meat due to their sharp teeth, but he never saw them eat meat or even do any cooking. The plants and sweet roots that they had been picking were only in season for this time of year. Whenever they did not look for food, the old man and the old lady would rest, but the boy and the girl were always climbing something or some other exercise. As Osman spent his time watching the four Sasquatch, he wondered to himself, what do they want with me? At this point, they had not heard him. They must have known that he could not stay. He knew he had to make a break for it. However, he was slowly gaining their trust, and the old man Sasquatch came closer and closer. He seemed very interested in the snuff. One morning, while Osman made his coffee, the young Sasquatch came and sat and watched him. He smacked his lips, pretending it was the best thing you could ever drink. He set down the last of his coffee grinds in a can next to him. He then pulled out a box full of snuff, took a big chew. But before he had time to close the box, the old man reached for it. He didn't want him to waste it all. He only had two boxes left. So he held onto the box, allowing the older Sasquatch to take a pinch. But instead, he grabbed the box and emptied it into his mouth, swallowing in one gulp, then he licked the box inside. After a few minutes, his eyes began to roll over in his head. He was looking straight up. He was getting sick. The old Sasquatch grabbed the cup of coffee and emptied it into his mouth, grounds and all, and that did not help. He stuck his head between his legs and rolled forwards a few times away from Osman. Then he began to squeal like a stuck pig. Osman grabbed his rifle and said, This is it. If he comes for me, I'm going to shoot him. Plumb between the eyes. As the older Sasquatch ran towards the water spring, Osman packed up whatever he had left and took off. The young fellow ran over to his mom. She began to squeal. As Osman ran towards the opening of the valley, the older woman was right behind him. He fired one shot, hit a rock over her head. The shot scared her. She turned and ran inside the wall. He started running downhill, looking back over his shoulder, but no one was coming. He was in a canyon. He never stopped moving. He says that he made at least three miles in world record time. As he came to a turn in the canyon, he noticed that the sun was on his left. That meant that he was going south, and the canyon turned west. 
he decided to climb the ridge ahead of him. And he knew that he must have two mountain ridges between him and salt water. And if he climbed this ridge, he'd have a pretty good view of this canyon. He'd also be able to see if the Sasquatch were coming after him. Due to the fact that he didn't really have much on him, he was making good time as he went up the hill. He stopped eventually to look back again, but nobody was behind him. As he got over the ridge of the mountain, he could see Mount Baker, and he knew he was going in the right direction. At this point in time, he doesn't remember how long he was traveling, but he felt tired and hungry. But even though Osman felt tired, he knew he had to keep going, mostly for fear that the Sasquatch would be behind him. However, he allowed himself to rest for about two hours. It was around 3 p.m. when he started down the mountainside. He made it down to the creek at the bottom of the canyon. He finally felt safe. He made a fire between two big boulders, roasted a grouse he had shot a few hours before, and the next morning when he woke up, he felt terrible. His feet were sore, his socks filthy and wet, his legs sore, his stomach very upset from the grouse he ate the night before. He wasn't sure if he was going to make it up that mountain. Finally, he made it to the top, but it took him over six hours to get there. It was cloudy, and he couldn't see a mile in front of him. All Osman knew was that he needed to go downhill. After another two hours of walking through heavy timber, he sat to rest, when all of a sudden, he could hear a motor running and then stop. He listened for a while and decided that the sound was from a gas donkey. Someone was logging in the neighborhood. He followed the noise and he told them that he was a prospector and that he was lost. He didn't tell them what had happened and that he had been kidnapped by a Sasquatch because if he told them, they'd probably think he was crazy. The next day, he went down from his camp on Salmon Arm Branch. From there, he got on the Union boat back to Vancouver. That was the last prospecting trip Albert Osman ever experienced. By the time Albert Osman shared this story, he said, I know that in 1924, there were four Sasquatch living in those mountains, but it might only be two now. The old man and the old lady might be dead by this time. It wasn't until later that Osman shared this story with the world. And of course, many were very skeptical of it. But what happened in 1924 to Albert Osman? Did he really spend seven days with a family of four Sasquatch? I'm not sure if his story was actually true. But what I can tell you, mi gente, is I never question an indigenous man's legend. Hola mi gente! I can't believe it's our fourth season already. I'm just popping in to make sure that you are following Creepy Chisme on Instagram and TikTok. That's where I update y'all and post lots more creepy stories. Something new this season is if you love the show, you can now support your girl by buying me a cafecito, a little coffee. The link can be found in my Instagram bio as well as the show notes down below. All donations will go towards new podcast equipment to make the show better quality for you and also to future Mi Gente giveaways. You can donate any amount shown and write me a cute, creepy little message. Also, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast, don't forget to leave me a five-star rating. And if you leave a great review and I see it, I might just reach out with something fun for you. 
You can also email me all your creepy stories and details or any future podcast topics you'd like to hear. The email is creepycheesemeforyou at gmail.com. That's the number four, Y-O-U at gmail.com. Thank you so much, mi gente, for all the support, all the love, and keep sharing and spreading the creepy chisme. Okay, now back to more creepiness. Hola, mi gente. It's your girl, Lora, here for your entertainment. What a story. We love us some Bigfoot. I love hearing all the stories of Bigfoot encounters. I have more for you later in the future and, you know, maybe get into the history of Bigfoot a little bit, but I have never actually heard this story. It popped up on one of my YouTube feeds the other day and I'm really shocked that I never heard this story and so I wanted to share it with you guys. So I hope you enjoy that. I mean, it's not crazy. It's a pretty normal type-ish story. Not in a sense that it's about Bigfoot, four of them, you know, but like nothing crazy happened and they didn't do anything to him. You know, I just, I don't know. And the fact that he never went prospecting again, at least not alone, <laughs> kind of tells you something, you know. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, then you know that I have been going through it. So three weeks ago, I went to work fine, left feeling like complete shit. Barely made it through the door and passed out in my bed. I slept from like 4 p.m. to 3 a.m. But when I woke up, ooh, Lord, I was congested. I had an itchy throat. I could barely move my entire body. Now the next day was Friday and even though I felt miserable, I was still planning to go to work because I felt like whatever I was catching, it was gonna get worse. And so I figured I would recover over the weekend, take off Monday if I had to, and then I'd be good to go. And I'm so glad that I called off and did not go to work that Friday because the next day I was like experiencing the chills and just feeling exhausted. And then I had started this horrible cough, horrible. And I don't even know. I want to say I went through like five boxes of tissue. I'm not even joking. <laughs> it was so gross. Slept most of the day on and off because I couldn't breathe. And honestly, I thought I was going to die from this cough. The cough was guttural. It was from within. It was so bad. It was so, so bad. So anyway, I stood in bed all day. And by Saturday morning, the way my cough sounded or felt was giving me PTSD of the first time that I had COVID. And I took a COVID test just to see and bam, it was positive. So of course, I went to like an urgent aid clinic because I knew in order to get my days off of work, I need the test from the doctor. And although I felt like shit, I was like, let me just go today because I'm going to need this paper. So I go to the doctor and I'm, <laughs> I'm telling the girl, you know, I tested positive for COVID, but I need the doctor's note. And she's like, okay, like they didn't care. None of them put their masks on. None of them. It's so wild to me. <laughs> it is so wild to me that like medical personnel are so very just like just anti-COVID. <laughs> I mean, they see it more than we do, I guess, right? 
But yeah, nobody cared. I told the girls, like, I'm pretty sure I have COVID. I tested at home and it came out positive. And she's like, okay. Gave me a COVID test, a flu test, a RSV, whatever you name it, I took it. So the doctor comes in. He's like, oh, I heard you've been feeling pretty crappy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I've never had it this bad. And he goes, well, yeah, you have COVID. And then... <laughs> He goes, but I have some bad news. You also have flu. And I was like, what? I was like, how can you even? He goes, yeah, it's rare, but it happens. So then it all made sense as to why my symptoms were so bad because I never had it that bad for COVID. And yeah, the flu is freaking awful. It's really bad. I, I think the last time I had the actual flu was five, six years ago. So yeah, I had two viruses. I was out of work for a week, which kind of sucked because for most of that week I was very very sick it wasn't until like the last day that I felt okay and even when I went back I still like everyone was like oh my god you sound awful are you okay like I'm coughing up a lung and everything it was so bad but my recovery was slow and took forever I still, like you can kind of hear it, like I'm still a little, I'm not fully clear and it sucks. <laughs> but I didn't want to record and sound like a freaking, I, I'm not kidding when I say I sounded like a frog. <laughs> it was bad. And then, you know, working at a school all day, you're not yelling, like I don't yell, but you have to speak in a louder voice as a teacher so by the time I would get home, I had no voice. So there was just no way that I could record. And so, yes, I apologize. Thank you for coming and listening. This will technically be the first episode of the season. I did an introduction episode. If you listened, thank you so much. So I'm finally feeling good and ready to just get back into the flow of things. So other than that, I really haven't done much because I've been so sick, but I did hear some crazy stories in the news. So you know what that means. It's time for an updater story I've recently heard. Major trigger warning, mi gente, for gruesome and gory details in these next updates. This first one comes out of Pennsylvania. A Pennsylvania man shot his father, decapitated him, and then filmed a YouTube video rambling about killing federal employees. While filming the video, he then held up his father's decapitated head. His father was a federal employee with the Army Corps of Engineers. Justin Mahone, I believe is how you say it, 32 years of age, was taken in and charged with first-degree murder. That is until police discovered a USB allegedly containing a file with photos of federal buildings along with instructions showing steps to create explosives. In the video, he also names specific individuals who he claims should be publicly executed. This including the U.S. District Court judge as main target. Because of this, Mahone is now charged with three counts of terrorism. When police took him into custody, Mahone climbed a barbed wire fence and was found to have a 9mm pistol on him. He purchased the gun just a day before the murder. As of now, the suspect is in Bucks County Correctional Facility without bail. 
His preliminary hearing is not until April 2nd. Now, I read a few articles on this case, and honestly, other than screaming terrorism or terrorists threatening the government, nowhere does anyone mention mental illness. Obviously, this man has serious mental issues, but no mention anywhere. I'm sure the defense will definitely lean on that. The man is clearly not in the right state of mind, and the fact that he's 32 is sad to think he went that long without any type of mental help. In other news, Gypsy Rose is walking among us. Now, I'm not going to sit here (laughs) and glorify her in any way. She's a murderer. Yes, her life was awful, but let me say something. But before I say something, though, real quick. If you don't know, Gypsy was raised by her mother who suffered from Munch, how do you say it, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is pretty much medical child abuse. She trained her daughter and convinced many that her daughter was very sick with many things. It's a wild story, but eventually Gypsy Rose grew up and wanted to do teenage things and be normal. So she started gaming online at night and it's there in a chat room that she meets Nicholas Gode, Goodjohn or Gojon, I don't remember, but his name was Nicholas. They fall in love and Gypsy convinces him to help kill her mother so that she can be free and they could live happily ever after. Here's where my opinion comes in. And I haven't heard enough people say any of this. Now, Nicholas is on the autism spectrum. From what I know, which is not a lot, (laughs) but from what I know, most autistic people are very highly intelligent and very blunt and honest. So when the pair was caught and police questioned them, Nicholas, during his interrogation, said he did kill the mom. He didn't deny it at all. And he said specifically, I stabbed her four times. Four. He then also admitted that Gypsy wanted to have sex with him right after the crime took place. It bothered him, and I don't think he climaxed. I I don't know why I'm remembering this, but I don't think he, like, climaxed because he just killed somebody. Something like that. Gypsy said that Nicholas did the stabbing while she waited in the bathroom. She, too, admitted to having sex after... Now, here's my issue. Nicholas said he stabbed the mom four times. But the autopsy clearly showed she was stabbed 17 times. 17! (laughs) Now, I'm no expert, but when a murder is personal, it's usually not just two or three stabs. It's a lot of stabs. So you're going to tell me allegedly, that Gypsy, who, by the way, was raised to lie and manipulate her entire life, really had no part in the actual murder of her mother. Again, all alleged, of course. Mm, I don't know, y'all. Just saying. (laughs) Okay, whatever. But anyway, yeah, she's like... She's a little feisty firecracker. She tried to come out big on social media and she did get 
a huge following right away. Again, I don't really understand the glorification of a murderer. <laughs> but yeah. But of course, as we all know with social media, one second you can be held high on a platform and the next second everybody hates you, you know? And I think that's what happened with her. She came on too strong and now people are like, what is your problem, girl? But yeah, so she's kind of laid low a little bit now. Uh, apparently there's a documentary in the works of her release and whatever else, maybe her side of the story. I can guarantee she's going to write a book. Who knows what else the girl's going to do? It's it's wild. It's wild. And if you haven't heard the story or know the story of Gypsy Rose, I believe it's Hulu has a really good show on the story. It's pretty close to accurate. But again, nobody actually knows what happened the night of the murder. Maybe if you guys want, I'll do a full episode on it. But uh, maybe I'll even be lucky enough to get her as a guest. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to hold you guys up. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. It was good to be back. I'm ready. I am so ready. Don't forget if you have a topic or anything you want me to read or anything, you can always email me at creepychisme for you. That's the number four Y O U at gmail.com. Or you can just send me a nice little email. I love reading your guys' emails. Well, most of them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I appreciate every single one of you. Remember to like, comment, review, give me a five-star rating, share this episode with a family member or friend who might like it. I know there's some more Bigfoot lovers out there. I know. But gracias por escuchar y nos vemos pronto. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, stay creepy and spread the chisme. Adios, miente.